This is episode 60 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore events podcast. We're continuing with the 2010 Annual Enrichment Conference, Behold the Church, Gospel Communities on Mission. This is session five, Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Vanderstel. Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right. No double takes there. Well, uh, what I want to start with, um, I want to start with prayer. Because my guess is by now we all need some help. So let's ask for some help. Father, we need help. We know that you're generous in giving wisdom, so we ask for it. We know that you're sufficient in your grace, so we, we just ask for that. We know that your Spirit is here to enlighten our hearts and to open our ears and soften our hearts to hear and receive. Would you do that? Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. That we're not alone. We have a guide and we have a standard. And thank you especially for Jesus who is so gracious. Thank you that because of him, we can even look at what we have done and what we will do and know that your grace is sufficient both to enable us to do what we need to do, but to extend kindness and mercy for what we haven't done. And so I pray that would give us great hope today because you are so gracious to us. So would you empower us now by your spirit? Would you enable us to do what you have called us to? Would you give us hearts that would bend toward you and want to do what you want? So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you know how it usually works. Some of you are probably at the place where you're going, like, what does this really mean? You know, hopefully, hopefully when you come to something like this, you, you're at the place at the end, if you're soft, you say, God, what did you have for me? What did you want to say to me? And I hope we always stay that way. I've, uh, I, uh, sometimes when I go and travel and hear other, times, other people speak or preach, you know, it's easy as, a, as someone who preaches to just become critical about the delivery and the, the way that they give a message, right? It's hard not to do that when you do this a lot. And what I always have to do is I have to say, God, help me not to think about how they preach or how they could do better or how good it was, but rather to listen to what you have to say to me in this, regardless of who it is. And uh, I think there's always something that the Spirit can press on our hearts when the Word of God is open. And even if they are, are a terrible preacher, if they just read the Bible, we probably could get something, right? So that's always my hope, is I could blow it all week long, and at least I read the Scripture somewhere, and maybe there's something you got there. Um, but if you did have the Spirit impress something on your heart, and the God may be leading you towards some things, it's likely that you're kind of counting the cost right now. This is what usually happens to me when I go, well, if this, then that. And uh, so I think that's probably true for some of you. And so you, you, you might be thinking... Father, if, if really what it's all about is Jesus and the gospel and his mission and the reaching of lost people and the equipping of those who come to you and training them up so that they might be disciple makers who are sent out to start new works and planning of new churches, and you're thinking through all of that, and I hope you are. Now, if you are, you're probably thinking, what does that mean for our church? Does our leadership structure need to change? Do I need to change? Do I need to repent of some things that I've bought into, some 
idolatry areas of my life that I've made way more important than Jesus and his gospel. Maybe, maybe you're thinking through like, man, I don't know how people will respond to this, and I'm not sure if I can lead this, or God's really impressed on me. We need to start releasing some people to start new works, but man, I don't know if the, we can handle that right now. What if we lost those people? What would that mean for our church? And who knows? I don't know what's going on in your mind, and I don't know what kind of implications you have uh, as a result of our time together, but I would hope that there's some. And if there are, I want to have in front of you this verse. It's the continuation of what Mark said, uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews, and I just want to read it to set it up again. I'm going to start in 23, chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I love that language, without wavering. Immaturity in the scriptures looks like people who aren't tossed to and fro. That's what maturity looks like. They're, 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 they're dead set on Jesus. They're dead set on his mission. They're, they have their eyes set on what is set before them. And they don't waver. But here's the key. For he who promised is faithful. The reason why we don't waver is because it's he who promised. He's the faithful one. We aren't. We know we in our own strength and abilities will waver. So we look to the one who is faithful because he promised he would keep us until that day. And then it says, let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good works, like Mark shared earlier, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some. And I think this week we neglected, we decided not to neglect meeting. We came together and said, we need some encouragement. We need some challenge. We need to be reminded of what we're called to. And this is very important for the church to come together like this. It's good for you to do this in your local congregation. It's good for people to do this in their homes so they don't forget even from Sunday to Sunday, they need to be reminded through the week. And it's good for us as churches to come together so we won't forget. And this is how the body gets built up. It's not just in your own place. It's also together. But then it goes on. But encouraging one another and all the more, and this is what I want you to hear, all the more as you see the day drawing near. And there's an urgency here. What he's saying is there's a day coming and we better get ready for it. Now, I, I've heard a lot of people in my you know, growing up years use the coming judgment, and it's real. Don't forget that. When you look at Acts and they see the teaching over and over of the gospel, for instance, when Peter speaks to Cornelius' household, this is what he says after he explains about what happened to Jesus and says we're all witnesses of what he did in the country of the Jews. And in Jerusalem, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. This is chapter 10 of Acts. But God raised him on the third day. He made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And listen to this. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. In their, in their gospel proclamation, regularly they reminded people there is a judge and he will judge the living and the dead. And there's a day drawing near and it's quickly approaching. And every day is one day closer to the day when he will return. And when you, when you look in Revelation, you know what that's going to look like. And I want us to have that in front of us as we talk. I want us to have the reality that there is a coming day of judgment. 
If we, if we forget that, what we tend to do is we're like, well, we got all day. We got all year. We'll take as long as we have to. Someday we're going to get around to reaching people. We don't have all day. Today is the day of salvation. It's now. I was with, uh, I was with uh, one of the guys that I was, had the privilege of leading to Christ this last year, Clay. He's in part of our missional community. It's one of our... Um, one of our childhood, our kids hang out with these kids, and, and it's their parents, and they go to school together, and so we've gotten to know them through parties and, you know, Halloween together and all this stuff, and, and over time, God gave us the privilege of leading him to Christ. He has zero experience whatsoever in the church, and, um, and we were sitting down as, with our missional community the other, just two weeks ago, and he said, you know, he has no, again, he has no experience whatsoever in the church, and he, he says, I've heard something about, like, this idea that someday we're going to have to like go to these gates and we're going to have to answer this question to get into the gates like so this guy named peter or something saint peter is going to ask us a question right i go no no that's like some hollywood thing or some you know folklore you've heard and so what is it going to be like i said well revelation tells a lot about what it's going to be like and he said well can we just read that so we can hear it so here we are with a few unbelievers and brand new christians in in our group and i opened up to revelation and i'd read like eight chapters and we got, I mean, and I read everything, you know, and it's, and I just let scripture speak for itself. And I explained a couple things because, you know, a few things you need to kind of help people hear and maybe explain a little bit. So we got done and he's, he just sat there and he's like, man, we got work to do. People aren't ready for this. Later on, I got to it with him. I would meet with him every Saturday morning because I'm training him. I'm discipling him. And we sat down. And he said, you know, Jeff, I've been thinking about what's going to happen. And he said, I cannot imagine being in heaven without my kids there. He said, in fact, I'd have to trust that God would have to erase my memory because I can't imagine heaven being a good place if I knew my kids were suffering forever apart from God in hell. And I said, Clay, well, God's put you in your home, so they won't. He's called you to be the spiritual leader, so you will lead them in the gospel and you will train them up in the ways of Christ and you will call them to faith in Jesus and trust that God has put you there for a reason that they might come to faith in him. He said, I don't even know how to do that. And I said, well, let's talk about how you do that. So I started walking through how you get up in the morning with your kids and you pray with them and you're reminding them of Jesus and you talk to them about how he can go with them and empower them to live a day differently. When they get done with the day, you sit at the dinner table and you talk about Jesus again and you make sure they're getting the gospel and you take them through the whole story of God so they know the redemptive plan of God from Genesis to Revelation. And, and then you go to bed and you do each one of their bedtime routines very uniquely because you're gospeling them and you're discipling them and they're all different and you need to keep teaching them the gospel every single night because they're not going to know if you don't tell them and they're not going to come to believe if you don't call them to faith in Jesus Christ. And I remember doing that and I thought, the only reason Clay is so serious right now about his kids getting to know the gospel is because he knows what's coming. He knows it's real. He believes it. And he didn't try to explain it away to make it easier. He didn't say, God couldn't do that to my kids. He's realizing it's true. There's a judgment day coming. And there's going to be a day when we're going to stand before the judge and we're going to be judged according to what we do. And those of us who are in Christ are going to go, I know that what I did didn't measure up, so I'm just, let his credit be mine. What he did is, is for me. And our name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and we have hope. But how about all the other people who will stand before the judge 
And they will stand based upon their works and we know they will not make it through. You know, I, I grew up hearing lots of motivation to respond to Jesus with hell. Like, I, you know, come forward so you don't burn in hell. And it was always trying to get other people to respond to Jesus with the threat of hell. But have you ever motivated your church to go and reach out to people with the reality of the judgment? What if really part of what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to be so aware of the reality of the judgment that it motivates us to go out and share the gospel instead of just trying to get people to come forward and pray a prayer? What if the reality of the judgment is such that when we read it, we're supposed to go, no, I don't want them to not know. I don't want them to not hear. I will do whatever it takes so that they hear. And what happened with Clay in that moment was he just said, I can't imagine my kids not being there with me. What do I got to do? How can I teach them? How can I make sure they know this? It led to us saying, how do we need to restructure our missional community so our kids hear the gospel over and over and over again? You know, it just led us to rethink how we would do our whole ministry. It's going to lead him to restructure his whole family so that they'll grow up in the gospel. It'll lead him to join me and restructure our mission of community so that our kids grow up in the gospel. And you know what the next thing that we talked about is he said, wait a minute, it's just not my kids. It's my friends. It's the people in the city. It's the people in this community. What are we going to do to reach them? See, what's going on is he's so aware of the reality of what's coming, and he knows, and this is what he said. I love this. this I just love what the Spirit does to brand-new Christians. You know, he's like, Jeff, that could happen any day, couldn't it? I said, that's right. The Bible says that we don't know. It could happen just like that. He said, we got work to do. I said, that's why I'm meeting with you, Clay, because we've got to do this, and i got to train you how to do this. And see, one of the things that I think about as I was thinking about today and what I would share and thinking about the last few days is I thought, you know, if, if we don't really believe that's going to happen, we're not willing to do whatever it takes back home in our churches to make sure our people take this seriously. We just think, that, yeah, I know, I hear that. Someday. Do you feel the urgency? I think one of the reasons why most people don't share the gospel is because they don't believe in hell anymore. I mean, when's the last time you heard someone talk about the reality of the coming judgment? So I was uh, reaching out to the people in my community. You know, we have parties together quite often. I remember my neighbors across the street, Amy and Tully, invited me to one of their parties and we were hanging out together and and we got talking, and we had a great time. It was really good. We were eating good food and enjoying the company of a lot of people, most of them not believers. There's one couple that were Christians there that I was just getting to know, and um, which is always kind of funny. When I do this, um, my neighbors, Amy and Tully, will introduce me to their friends and say, this is that, that pastor that I told you about, but he's not like normal pastors. Uh, it's kind of their way to say, it's okay, we let him in. But he's not really like those other ones that you guys don't like, you know. They have a, a caricature, of course, of Christians and pastors. And 
fortunately, we've been able to break that down a little bit. And uh, we were having dinner together and enjoying time. And at one point, somehow we got talking, and I don't know how it happened, but it started leading towards a little bit like a, a spiritual conversation. And I, I'll tell you this. If you engage with uh, people who don't know Jesus and you enter into their parties and you spend time with them, eventually you're going to get to have a spiritual conversation. It just, it just happened, especially in the, in the Northwest, because it is a very spiritual place. Uh, not Jesus' place, but a spiritual place. And um, and so we got talking, and at one point, we were talking about Jesus, and um, no, we were talking about spiritual things, and I said, and, and Amy said, you know, one of the reasons, Jeff, that I could never ever be a part of your church is because of your view on homosexuality. You wouldn't, you wouldn't marry a, a gay couple, would you? And I said, no, I wouldn't. And she said, see, that's my problem. I have great gay friends, and and you know, they would never be accepting your church. I said, oh, they would be accepting our church. I just wouldn't marry them. She goes, yeah, but I mean, you have a view on this. And I said, yeah, well, my view comes from the scriptures. She said, yeah, but I see, I just don't agree with that. And I said, okay, Amy, instead of us talking about homosexuality or talking about what you think it says or doesn't say, why don't we just get back to talking about Jesus? Because that's where it starts. Because you're never going to make sense of anything his, bio, his word says until you get to know Jesus. And I, and I don't know, but side note, by the way, um, the enemy of your souls and the enemy of your neighbor's souls will do everything he can to make sure you never talk about Jesus. So he'll always make it a peripheral issue. He'll also do whatever he can to convince you that there is no coming judgment. And he'll do everything to convince you that God would never send anybody to hell. And on and on and on. I mean, he's doing that. Because he doesn't want anybody to take seriously the fact that you better get to Jesus. And so we're in this party, and I know he was doing that, saying, just talk about the issue of homosexuality some more and debate it. And the Spirit of God said, don't you dare talk about that anymore. You talk about my son, about Jesus. And... Uh, and so at that point, I said, Amy, we could talk about this forever. I guess the question I have for you, and it always come back to this, what do you think of Jesus? By the way, that's a great thing to do with unbelievers. Get away from all the peripheral issues and get back to Jesus. Just say, what do you think of him? And she said, well, you don't like what I think of him. I said, well, I, I, I may not like what you think of him, but I'd love to hear what you think of him. She said, well, I just think he was a good teacher and just a man and and I know you believe he was God and he was sent to save us, and I just don't agree with that. And I said, okay. I said, um, I said, where do you get that from? And we started to have a conversation about what, what I think the Bible says about Jesus and what we even his, historical records say about Jesus. And we had a good conversation. It started to be all about Jesus. And then at one point, it started to get pretty heated. And I love Amy. She's a dear friend of mine. I mean, no matter what happens, she'll always be my friend. And at one point, I just said to her, I stopped. And everyone in the party is listening. So this is really amazing. you got all these unbelievers engaging in this, this conversation. And at one point, I said to her, I said, Amy, I want to tell you something. The reason why I keep talking to you about Jesus over and over and over again is because there is a day coming where you will stand before him as judge. And he is holy and he is perfect, and he will ask you to stand up to his measurement. He will be the standard, and you will have to measure up to that perfection. And I know it's coming, and I know it's true, and I love you, and what I want for you is I don't want you to stand before Jesus as your judge. I want you to stand before Jesus as your Savior, as the one who will say, it's good to go because my righteousness has been given to you, but I'm concerned for you because right now you're going to stand before him on your own merit, and he will have to say to you, get away from me, and he will remove you from his presence forever. So that's why I keep talking about this. There's too much at stake for you. 
And I just pleaded with her, would you, would you surrender your life to him? And I'm doing this with a bunch of unbelievers watching. And, uh, and uh, these, these Christians come up to me afterwards, and they're like, we've never seen anything like this in our entire life. We didn't know you could do that. I said, what do you mean do what? Like, like talk about Jesus as openly as you did in front of people and talk about the future and the judgment. I said, why did you think you couldn't do that? Who told you that? And as I've gotten to know those people, they, they, they want to grow in this. And I realized two things had happened. The church had lost its urgency because they did not believe there was an impending judgment coming at any point. That's the one thing. The second is the church had convinced them the only way that people will ever hear about the truth of Jesus is if you get them to come to your church. See, if you lose your sense of urgency and you just keep waiting for people to come to your church, they're not going to come to know Jesus. Guaranteed. And if you're in the Northwest, you already know that. It's a losing game. Don't wait. Don't wait. Peter, when he speaks to the churches scattered throughout the region, do you remember what he says? Then? I'm going to summarize First Peter. He basically says, okay, God has called you to be holy, and he's called you to be these living stones. And I want you to stand up if you're, you're born in the first three months of the year, January, February, or March. Stand up. Okay, let's add April and May. Okay? Peter says, you guys are like living stones. You're scattered throughout the region. You're like pillars of the gospel to the people that are around you. And he says, you're supposed to live such good lives amongst those who don't believe that they would see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. And then he goes on to chapter 3 and he says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you because when you live these lives, they're going to demand an explanation. Live a life that demands a gospel explanation. Give it to them because in chapter 4 he says, there's judgment coming. Do you remember that? That's the order. And so what he's fundamentally saying, he's saying, God put every one of you where you're at in the city you live on purpose. There's no mistake. These people that are sitting down, they don't know. They don't believe. And you're there because you're his, his means of accomplishing them coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's it. That's God's plan. He doesn't have another one. That's it. You guys are it. So all you are standing, you're the hope that God has for these lost people that by his spirit in you and through his gospel, these people would see the gospel and they would come to believe because you proclaim the gospel. Now just imagine that every one of you is a church in our region. And every one of your churches is to be this for our region so that there's no way anybody can get away from the gospel. Just think about this. This is the reality of what we experience right now. We do have gospel presence in the Northwest. The question is, do we have gospel proclamation? And do we have urgency of the coming day driving us to do whatever it takes to reach people? Now imagine if you did this with your church and you said, every one of you has been put where you're at. You've been placed right there to stand up as a living pillar of Jesus in your neighborhood, in your home, in your on your block, because it is Jesus' means for saving your neighborhood. What if you believe that? What if every person believed that? They believe both that everybody in their neighborhood apart from Jesus is going to stand before the judge, and God's means for them to be saved is that he would put them in that neighborhood so they would be the pillar of the church, whereby God is building up his church like living stones so they could proclaim the gospel of those people so they wouldn't face judgment without Jesus. What if that's what they believed? You guys can have a seat. Let me ask you, do you believe that? 
The thing that shifted for me, and I think it's shifting for our church, is the idea that God is not a God of mistakes or coincidence, and that every place he's put you, it's because you are his chosen vessel for how he will bring the gospel to the people that live there. That's it. And every member of your church, that's the truth for them. And if the urgency of the coming judgment isn't that real in front of us and in front of them, we won't make the hard decisions to deal with the, the mantle of idols that we've got that we put up instead of the gospel of Jesus. Think about it. As you were thinking about the cost of what it's going to take to live out what God's called you to do, did you think about, well, there's some programs we really like that I can't imagine getting rid of because people would really be upset about that. Or maybe we're going to have to change our leadership structure, and that's this little God on the on the mantle because that's how we've always done it. And I can't imagine actually calling our leaders to a way of life that's different than what we've ever called them to before. But the norm of Scripture, as you read the, the, the account in Timothy, his letter to Timothy, says that the elders need to lead the way in this work. But a lot of our elders aren't leading the way in this work. So we're either going to have to get those guys trained up or we're going to have to ask them to step down. Maybe one of the, the idols is, you know what, this might mean I, I might lose a paycheck because they might fire me if I lead our church this way. Or maybe the, the, the idol is, this would be uncomfortable for my family, and I'm not sure that I'm ready to lead them in this kind of life. Or maybe the idol is, I really like the comfort of my home, and if I let people in it, they might destroy it. Well, I don't know what the mantle of idols is, but we all probably have a few of those up there that we actually love more than Jesus and we trust in more than the gospel. And the, the judgment reality of its coming is not more impressive to us and real to us than those things that we're looking at right now. And what we need to do is say, do any of those things have more power or grip on our soul than the gospel and the coming judgment of Jesus? Do they? If they do, we ought to repent. We ought to say right now, God, forgive me that I haven't taken you seriously. Forgive me that I've let something become more important to me than Jesus Christ and his coming judgment. I don't know what those are for you. For me, one of them that I have to wrestle with over and over and over again is the, the approval of man. Oftentimes when I get done preaching, I, the thoughts that go through my head are not, God, was Jesus exalted and people come to faith in you? A lot of times it's, what did people think of what I said? And I have to repent of that almost a weekly basis to say, this is not about me and this is not about what I said and this is not how good of a preacher I am. This is about Jesus and his exaltation and him bringing people to faith. I don't know what those things are for you. I want to encourage you to ask what is it going to take for our leadership to become a biblical eldership that resembles the one that we see in Scripture, that sets an example to the flock, that takes seriously the coming judgment enough to do whatever it takes to lead our church, to do whatever it takes to see people come to Jesus? I want to encourage you to think through what presently in our church is in place that's really impeding us from taking that seriously. What's presently in my life that's impeding that from taking that seriously? What, what have I made more important than Jesus and his call on my life? And then I want, to add, I want to read something. I want to ask you if you would be able to say what Paul was able to say. Because this is what I hope I'm able to say someday to my church. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 20. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. 
You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. <sighs> Don't you hope that there's a day coming when you can say to your city, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I've not shrunk back from making sure every one of you has heard the gospel. Don't you hope that every person in your church will be able to say, I, I, I'm not innocent of the blood of all my neighbors because I've not shrunk back from making sure they all know about Jesus? For I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel of God. He goes on to say that there's going to be people who come in and try to draw people away. He says, don't let it happen. Don't let them get away from the cross and Jesus and the centrality of this message I've given to you. Don't let it happen. People are going to want that to happen. They're going to want to make the church about them. They're going to want to fit it to what makes them comfortable and makes it easy for them. Don't let it happen. Protect this flock. So I just want to ask you, what is it going to take for you to take seriously the reality of the coming judgment to the degree that you could say to the people that you love dearly in your city, I'm innocent of their, your blood because I've not shrunk back at all. And what is it going to take to help your church be able to say that as well with you? Kind of one of those moments where it might be a little sobering and I'm not going to try and build you up. I'm not going to try and make you feel better. I really think we need to wrestle with this and say, have we taken seriously what is true? I'll tell you what. It grieves my heart that my neighbors don't yet believe. And I will keep telling them over and over and over again until they do. And I know I can't change their hearts but I want to be innocent of their blood. If anything has become more important to you than Jesus and the reality of what's coming and the urgency of proclaiming the gospel, what I, I just want to call you to repent of that. Because you put your faith in the wrong stuff then. <laughs> 